Hello everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch it and rank it until we have our definitive number one. Who's we? Well, I'm Andrew and as per usual, I'm joined by my co-host Rob. Hello. And Mick. Hello. So, how are we doing today, guys? Also, did you appreciate the fact that I varied the order up? Yes, I did. I I, I appreciated it very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's the little pl- things, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, when you spent when you spent like ages painting walls and ceilings, you know, the little things that uh, just m- make it make the world nice. I mean, I I I don't really care about the order. I see this very much as an ensemble piece. Actually, and I guess now you're the you're the one at the end, so like you are the Samuel L. Jackson in all the Marvel films. <laughs> That's right. The one who adds the cool factor. <laughs> and you just told me off for saying cool too many times. <laughs> yeah, because you didn't put any other words in between them. In fact, what you sounded like was a, a stuck record. Which, of course, were last popular in the 90s. God, this is really annoying. I'm really annoyed because I want to chastise the both of you for, like, uttering complete and utter nonsense. But, I mean, behold, Tank Girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, today we are talking about the 1995 Tank Girl film, directed by Rachel Talele, with screenplay by Terry Tarafin. And based on the comics by Alan Martin and Jamie Hewlett. Yep. Which was the first source of confusion for me. Because I don't know why, but I always had it in my head that Todd McFarlane had been responsible for the Tank Girl comics. I don't know why it had been there. I don't know how that got in there. but Yeah, I mean, it is a bit of a bizarre thing to uh i i don't know it's a very specific misremembering yeah it is (laughs) i'm just thinking about todd mcfarlane's work and tank girl and i'm like there's number one there's a fundamental difference in art style and number two (laughs) now now what you've got to remember what you've got to remember is this is 90s comics we're talking about. Yeah, I remember right? Todd McFarlane's comics during the 90s. <laughs> and and we have, at length, over Behold and Four Panel, discussed the fact that I didn't do 90s comics. Yeah, but Tank Girl was out around you in the 80s as well. Yeah. So <laughs> the, thing, the thing about 90s <laughs> comics is that a lot of them were late 80s comics as well. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, anyway. I mean, I basically stopped doing comics in 84. But before you had your relapse later on in life. <laughs> before, before I had my midlife crisis, yes. I think 84 was when they rebooted the Beano, wasn't it? <laughs> my, my, my midlife crisis on Infinite Mix. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, right, so Tank Girl then. Yeah, so Tank Girl, uh, I think comics-wise... That's kind of your wheelhouse, isn't it, Rob? Because me and Mick aren't overly familiar with them. Yeah. Um, Tangle was one of those bizarre, strange comics that I always saw when I went to the comic book store um, during like the 80s and the 90s. 
And it was always there on the shelf, and it always looked a little bit punk, a little bit weird. And I never really understood the appeal of it and why it was there, because it didn't look anything like, um, you know, your Justice Leagues or your Avengers or your Fantastic Fours or anything like that. And then I got really curious about it. So one day I just got a copy of Tank Girl and read it, and I was like, I have no idea what's going on, but somehow it's marvellous. I really don't understand this comic, but it's wonderful that I don't understand it. And I really started getting into Tank Girl from there. Um, I mean, the basic story is that uh, Tank Girl's real name is Rebecca Buck, but uh, I think in the new version of Tank Girl, they've uh, they've said that her name is Fonzie Rebecca Buckler. Uh, but in the, originally it was just Rebecca Buck, and... Uh, she was kind of a uh, mercenary uh, at the you know at the beginning and uh, something happens she ends up kind of uh, doing something wrong or accidentally causing something to go wrong and then she ends up becoming kind of an outlaw in this post post apocalyptic world uh, she meets and befriends jet girl and sub girl later on and various other you know, vehicle girls, as they're known, um, or as I know them anyway. And she has a boyfriend who is a mutated kangaroo called Booga. Yes, all those things. Yeah. Um, he's also a formerly successful toy designer, by the way. <laughs> what? Yeah, he used to, he used to design products that, uh, that apparently, if I remember the phrasing rightly, Santa would have sacrificed reindeer for these toys. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he's also, uh, yeah, he's all he's Tanko's boyfriend, and uh, he's quite devoted to her, and she really likes Booga, but also kind of tolerates him because he likes to think he's a bit of a player, especially in the modern version. He likes to think he's a bit of a player, and he really isn't. Is he like that one really buff kangaroo that all the ladies on the internet swooned over? Uh, no. No. He would be the, uh, the, uh... Fine, and some of the men, including myself. Have you seen his abs? Yeah, but... He would be the... Penny off him. Booga would be the, uh, the scrawny, weaselly, uh, sidekick to that kangaroo. Anyway, I feel like the the message is... you, you You can't really be a casual fan of the Tank Girl comics. No, you you're either uh, Tank Girl is basically the, uh, one of those Marmite comics. You either love it or you hate it. You know, it's it, it, it's weird because I it's it you can get people who are indifferent to Tank Girl, but in general, you they'll either love Tank Girl or they'll hate Tank Girl. Yeah, I, I feel like probably my opinions on Tank Girl aren't particularly fair. Because I did just try and read a bit of it uh, for the show. Mm. And it's just one of those things when you're just trying to read a bit to get like a baseline idea of what is this series about. It's just the fact that it's such dense wackiness yeah. is, is not really conducive to research. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you've not been in Tankel, from, I, I mean, Tankel is a bit like, um, say, Judge Dredd, in a sense in that unless you're already invested in the lore of Judge Dredd and of uh, the Mega Cities and stuff like that, unless you already 
have a good grounding in that, you're probably going to find it intimidating uh, to get uh, into it uh, now. No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, a lot of the, from the point of view of Judge Dredd, a lot of the lore is, has sort of managed through osmosis to get into uh, more mainstream. Yeah, I mean, uh, aside from Dredd himself, I mean, but, aside from Dredd but, himself, but Judge Death, Judge Anderson, the Dark Judges, things like that, are they going to know anything about those? 95% of the time you don't need to, unless it's a story involving them. Yeah, but that's my point. It's Tango is kind of the same. And when, but when it is, well, no, you've just said it's too dense to be accessible. 95% of Judge Dredd stories are perfectly accessible because you don't need form, former knowledge. And on those rare occasions that you do need former knowledge of those characters, there's a, a backstory sort of synopsis that just fills you in on the details just enough to get you through. I bow to your expertise on Dread. You know more about Dread than I do. <laughs> um, Tangle doesn't do synopsis. I don't think Tangle can spell synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 I mean, I, I mean, to be fair, I'm not sure I can spell synopsis. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, Speaking of which, should we do one for the movie? Oh, oh, that was a that was a good segue. Yes. Yep. So, Tank Girl plot time. It's the year twenty thirty three. A country that is maybe Australia. I'm not maybe somewhere else. Yes, could it easily be like Los Angeles or well. I like that we went for like different obscure British kind of seaside towns. <laughs> See, the thing that confuses me is it could be um, it could be Australia, it could be Los Angeles, it could be San Francisco because right at the beginning of the movie, there's that broken bridge, that uh, non-denomination suspension bridge that's broken, and you're like, I wonder where that is. Yeah. Anyway. Wherever the hell it is, is a desert wasteland after a meteor hit Earth, wiping out most of the water. Now, the water and power company, run by the megalomaniac Kesley, Malcolm McDowell, because of course, controls most of the remaining water and all of the power. Yeah. I, I mean, you say played by. <laughs> he yeah, basically is. Kind of... <laughs> yes, sir. Malcolm McDowling about while a camera is near him. <laughs> I mean, I imagine that's just like that's just basically what he's like at home. Well, you know, maybe having dinner with his wife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bet he doesn't even know he was in that film. <laughs> just walked down to the set for a bit of a tour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, he's not our main character. Our actual main character is Rebecca Buck, Laurie Petty, a water thief who is captured by the Water and Power Company and put to work hauling dirt in a labour camp before eventually being used as bait to try and capture the Rippers. Yep. A group of mysterious and monstrous beings who've been attacking the Water and Power outposts. Ooh, I bet they're real spooky scary. So the plan goes badly, and after the guards are all killed, Rebecca escapes in a tank. With the help of her friend Jet, they buy Naomi Watts. Uh, the pair of them then embark on a series of wacky adventures, including rescuing Tank Girl's friend Sam from a brothel through the power of song and dance, uh, meeting the Rippers, 
who, surprise, are actually a group of human kangaroo hybrids, and then launch a final assault on the Water and Power Company after Sam is captured by a now cyborg Kesley, who's also got a got a hologram for a face. Don't don't worry about it. Yeah. So- and yeah, it's quite a short synopsis because about sixty percent of this film is just, and then some weird stuff happens. Yeah, mostly animated. Yeah, I mean, uh, the animated uh, asides aside, um, there was this surprisingly had a pretty good ensemble cast. I mean, aside from Malcolm McDowell and Ice T, really hamming it up as a kangaroo, which is not a do. See, I'd, I'd love the fact that Ice T very clearly hates every second of the film he's in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you, Naomi Watts's jet was because uh, I went. I, I didn't re- realize it was Naomi Watts as jet. I've spent uh, until I went back and rewatched it for this episode of Behold, and I was like, "That's Naomi Watts." Yeah, because it's, it's a very young Naomi Watts, and she just spent a lot of the film kind of quite greased up with big old glasses on. And Rat in uh, the Liquid Silver Club is Iggy Pop. Yeah, but to be fair, it's quite obviously Iggy Pop. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yes, you can tell by the way he doesn't have a shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> the, um... So. Yeah. Um, was it... Uh... I, I remember the first time I saw this thinking, well, that was a mess. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I rewatched it, now bear in mind when I rewatched it for this show, we we are in lockdown. There are several movies that I've been looking forward to this year that aren't actually coming out yet. Hmm. So I may have been a little bit stir crazy and jonesing for some comic book movie action, but it wasn't as bad as I remember. See. This is the thing that the uh, this is the thing that kind of bugs me a little bit about Tank Girl. All right, I know that the movie is basically trash, but I kind of love it for being trash. Uh, I put it in the same category as movies like George of the Jungle. They're rubbish, but I I kind of love them because they kind of they kind of know that they're rubbish. They kind of know that they're nonsensical, and they you know they kind of play on it a little bit as well. But yeah. Um, I think with Tank Girl, what they were trying to do were uh, they were they were a little bit too far ahead of the time when they made this movie mm. in 1995, because I mean, uh, just I, I found out uh, that uh, Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie's production company, has optioned the rights to from uh, whoever I think it was MGM had it to yeah. reboot Tank Girl. And given yeah. that, yeah, which I mean, Tanker with the sensibilities of a kind of like Birds of Prey would be absolutely incredible. Yeah. And which, let's face it, the DNA of Birds of Prey owes, owes more than a little bit to Tank Girl. Yeah. And the thing is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is, when you look back through the comics of Tank Girl, it's always been a little bit, uh, a little bit ahead of its time in terms of the themes that are in the comic book. I mean, it's not meant to be taken seriously, but there are things that are uh, in the comic book that are only now becoming more prominent in society. 
which is uh, an amazing thing, but 1995 probably wasn't the best year to be releasing a Tank Girl movie in terms of budget, in terms of uh, in terms of just reception. I mean, uh, yes, truly, 1995, the world was not ready for a Kangaroo Man playing the saxophone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who's a big fan of Jack Kerouac and all of them love crumpets and tea because it's tasty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can recite a lot of the film because I, I do like it that much. And we, we know this from the chat that we use to organize the recordings. I'll, I'll be honest, right? The, uh, I mean, I, a lot of the story makes no sense. Um, you've done a great synopsis, but. It tried doing. It tried being serious at times, and I don't think it worked. I, I think that was it. I think that was its big problem, and I think it's a problem that a lot of sort of late eighties to early two thousand super well, comic book movies had. Yeah, was they want it to be dark and gritty, like so the source material was was turning to be in in, the, in that period. Mm. But they also wanted to keep a sense of fun, and it, it was finding that balance yeah, that and, they found really difficult. And Tangle was not the movie to use to find that balance. I, no, <laughs> no, balance was not a thing to find in Tangle. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Like I, I will say, I like you two. I did actually quite enjoy this movie a fair bit, but I think there are definitely moments where it seems very much like it's just trying to be discount demolition men. Yeah. And um, with a budget of 25 million, it's going to be discount whatever it is. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it is. Oh, my, yes. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you could call it, you know, um, you can call it Pound Shop Holly, Harley Quinn or whatever you want. Uh, Tango, in terms of its history and in terms of the character, is definitely not uh, Pound Shop Harley Quinn, but this movie kind of is. Um, one of the things that I just didn't understand with the, I mean, the Rippers, for example, right? Uh, I can't, oh, what was his name? Was it Johnny Christmas or something like that? Supposed to be down in the south somewhere, working on something to make it rain, mm. and then rain's going to fall from the sky, and it's all this Oh, yeah, it's like um, Johnny Prophet, isn't Johnny it? Prophet, that's yeah. it, yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, and so they all have this dream, they're waiting for him to come back, and... There's this big dream, and it just comes in out of nowhere, you know? Yeah, so so I think the thing with that is that Richard Tulele has said in interviews that there's like an hour's worth of footage that didn't make the final edit of the film. Ah. And I think probably a lot of that might have just ended up on the cutting room floor, Yeah, which is why it's just this complete, like, out of nowhere plot point. <laughs> yeah. I, I spent, it, you know, I spent a long time thinking... Yeah, it just doesn't fit. I mean, the ripper, the ripper playing the saxophone, and the you know them suddenly doing some weird rap video thing, uh, and uh, you know the poetry for the rippers, and just the randomness of the rippers, I think fits, but the seriousness just doesn't. No, and I, th I think because uh, you can't put it down to to the direct because. The stuff that's in there is actually reasonably well directed. There's some shoddy effects work. Oh uh, yeah, like you know, uh, you can clearly see the wires on some of the wire work. But, yeah, but I mean, uh, well, well, the... well, the actual action sequences are quite well directed. And 
looking through um, Rachel Talali's um, CV, yeah. I mean, she's directed episodes. That, she's directed some of the better episodes of some of my favourite TV shows of, of, like, the last 25 years. Yeah. And an episode of Iron Fist. Just the one, though. <laughs> Just the one. <laughs> And then they thought, no, we're getting dangerous with girls to having a good episode. Yeah. But I mean... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't the worst episode of Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. No, probably not. I mean, it's got some stiff competition, let's be honest. But, I mean, that's... Oh, a... no. Iron Fist is a comic book adaptation, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I did not mention it, okay? I did not mention I, it. I, I swear. Like, there's at least one moment per episode where I realise the horrifying enormity of what I've signed us up to. <laughs> Just the things we're going to have to watch. Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't include any superhero things on that, uh, well, like, well-known superhero things on that list I made. Uh, I mean, is this, do you think this is part of the problem? Is that we can look back at these 1995 fools watching Tank Girl and thinking that's a bad comic book film. <laughs> but in 20 years' time, in 20 years' time, people are going to look back and they're going to say, actually, Tank Girl wasn't that bad compared to Iron Fist. <laughs> yeah, remember, remember the days when the worst comic book adaptation was just a film that's a bit messy but still very enjoyable? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if we could take... Uh... Take some of these episodes from now back and go to the like academy and say, right, you know that tank girl thing that all the critics banned? Look what else comes out of comic books. <laughs> and suddenly Talele gets gets an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the thing. So, so what is it is the idea that we like we make Hollywood start making more films like Tank Girl? To avoid, so that they never want to make the Iron Fists. Yes, yes. Although, although having said let, that, let, they did make Tank Girl, and then they made Iron Fist. Can I just so... can I just point out, right, that Hollywood and indeed uh, American TV in general, as well as Hollywood, does not have a good record with anything with the word Iron Fist in it, because Iron Fist was not good. The Man with the Iron Fists was not good, and I, I can't even remember if they made a sequel to that, but I'm assuming that probably if they did, that probably wasn't good either. Do you mean The Man with the Golden Fists? No, The Man with the Iron Fists. I don't know what that is. No. It's a, uh, it's a movie. You haven't been searching that corner of the internet again, have you? The Man with the Iron Fists. Uh... Yeah, The Man with the Iron Fists came out in 2012. It is a, an American martial arts film directed by RZA, whoever that is. Yeah, that, that's The Man with the Golden Fists, isn't it? No, The no. Man with the Iron no. Fists. I, I hate to have to overrule you here, Andrew, but he's right. No, it's not possible. RZA, and uh, there was yeah. and there was a sequel. Yeah, and uh, the film stars RZA, Russell Crowe, Kung Lei, Lucy Liu, Byron Manning, Rick Yoon, Dave Batista. Dave Batista was in this. <laughs> Jimmy Chung. Uh, oh, the, I'm, I'm getting the Iron Fist. Who was 
straight to video. <laughs> of course. Also, good news, I've figured it out. I've what? got it confused with 1979's Kid with the Golden Arm. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, this could this could be this could be another spin-off podcast <laughs> where we just review, review films that have a title with the format the noun with the insert substance <laughs> then insert <gasps> part of the body <laughs> no don't insert part of the body no. that'd be wrong no that's the other man with the iron fists <laughs> again Mick. yeah anyway back to tango anyway, <laughs> back to no, tango yeah I'd say this kind of silliness and crude humour is straying away from the subject matter, but it's not at all, is it? No, it's it not. really isn't. I mean, uh, 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 it's it's like you know the first time she sees the tank because the tank obviously is kind of sentient. It has her dog's brain and stuff like that. Not going into that, but the first time she sees the tank and she's kind of uh, she she sees like the the gun barrel, the main cannon of the tank. The shaft theme is playing. And I'm thinking, hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking, hm, that's not very subtle, is it? No. I, 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 mean, I, I, mean, I think that... if there's any accusation to be levelled at Tank Girl, subtlety is not one, one of them. No, I think one of my favourite bits is I mean, first of all, just that whole scene where she has to like chase down the lorry full of guns. Yeah. I think it's just a really neat action scene. Yeah, I mean... Also very, very much like like the bit where she pulls up to the cab, spins the barrel around and says, hiya boys, feeling, inad- feeling inadequate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, that, whole, that whole run up to it, I mean, it, it was trying to show Rebecca as being completely random by, you know, barbecuing sausages while she's fighting, which... Weirdly enough, is pure tank girl, <laughs> and I know loads yeah, of people like slated it. Parasailing off the back of the tank, firing a machine gun. Yeah, that's pure tank girl because loads of people are saying, "Oh, that's not going to happen in an action scene." And I was like, "Have you read Tank Girl?" <laughs> no, I don't know anything about Tank Girl. Then shut the hell up. Yeah, I, I think if your main complaint about Tank Girl is lack of realism, <laughs> you, you may be watching the wrong film. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and should should take out a subscription to National Geographic. Yes. Go watch some documentaries and just, you know, relax. Chill. <laughs> Chill, bruh. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Well, that's the thing. The film the film has loads of good scenes. That are very, very, very loosely held together by some kind of plot. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of the main reason why I'm quite disappointed. This was like a massive bomb originally, because mm. I really would have liked to see like maybe a Tank Girl two, where they have a bigger budget and can spend more time like tightening things up. Yeah, I mean that's why I'm looking forward to a reboot, and I think Margot Robbie's production company might be the right people to do it since she's got experience with harley quinn and that role so she's kind of got an insight into tank girl that other people probably don't have yeah, yeah. and i mean she's just she's a good act <gasps> she's a good actress and more importantly there could finally be a margot robbie film where she just talks using a normal accent yeah no yep are we, are we ready for that 
Yeah, I think the world is ready for it now. Yeah, look, I, mean, I, I suffered through so much neighbours when I was younger. It has to be worth something. I, 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 mean, I, I will say, I, I will say, right, we've been through like three months of lockdown all over the world. Who even remembers what she sounds like? Well, this is it. Do you remember that actress character on um, League of Gentlemen? There was an actress on League of Gentlemen? Yeah, she she talked <laughs> perfectly normally. Yeah. And then when she went in to actually record something, she talked like that. Maybe oh, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe was it that's like, would you like some orange juice? Yeah. <laughs> all, we want you, all, you, all we want you to do, my girl, is we want you to go in there and say, does anyone have a bottle of orange juice? Could you do that? Yeah, sure. Does anybody have a bottle of orange juice? Yeah, does anybody have a bottle of orange juice? Does anybody have a bottle of orange juice? That's it. <laughs> Maybe that's why we never hear Margot Robbie's voice. Maybe that's who Margot, uh, that's who the League of Gentlemen based that character on. Yeah. Okay, I suppose we do have to talk about uh, the actors and and stuff. Um, starting with uh, Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> enough said, really. It's Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. You know, let's, let's be honest. On that list of actors, you want to play your over-the-top sci-fi comic book villain. He's, he's in the top three. Well, I mean... Uh... Between him and Tim Curry and um oh what's his name? Dead Ringers. Um What well, forgotten his name. Damn it. Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. Between him and Tim Curry and Jer- Jeremy Irons, um, now that we've lost Alan Rickman, you know. But those three, I'd say top of my sci fi villains. And possibly Gary Oldman, but Yeah, I guess Gary. I think he just coasts off Leon. Nah. He's not put the work in. No, nah, the fifth element, he put the work in. Yeah. As Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. I've never actually seen the fifth element. He's, what? He's brilliant in the fifth element. <laughs> I'll get around to it eventually, probably. <laughs> Hold on, is it a comic book adaptation? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it <laughs> oh, is. Oh, no, it, it's not, <laughs> so I'm, I'm legally not allowed to watch it anymore. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Malcolm McDowell is, you know, I, I mean, there's there's so many there's so many fun scenes with Malcolm McDowell, but I think the one that sticks in my mind is where he sticks that thing into the guy's back, and yes, I love his like weird yeah. water extractor thingy. Yeah, and then just afterwards, he just takes a drink of it and goes, "Lovely," or what's up like that, or marvelous. <laughs> he is. He's, you know, Malcolm McDowell. It's kind of the embodiment of if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, obviously, we've got to talk about Laurie Petty as uh, Tank Girl. And I'll be honest, the only other thing I'd seen Laurie Petty in at that point, and I didn't even know it was her, was in A League of Their Own, which I really wasn't a fan of in the first place. After that, I think I saw her in an episode of Voyager. Where Tuvok is trapped on some weird planet, and she's trapped yeah. on the planet as well. But that's the only things I've seen Laurie Petty in ever. Just those three now, things. I saw her in something. Um, 
and I'll 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 look it up. Keep talking about uh, amongst yourselves. Uh, so yeah, so, so I think the uh, the reason for that actually, Rob, is sadly enough, this movie kind of killed her career a bit. Yeah, which is a shame because I think she's really good. Yeah, I the thing is, I thought she was really good, and I thought she nailed the role. What the hell is that? That's uh, that's my missus deciding to print something off. <laughs> I mean, it's staying in the show. <laughs> yeah, is it? Oh, yes. Right. So anyway, um. I thought... It was me. It was me printing off the full career of uh, Laurie Petty. Actually, <laughs> she was in Gotham. Oh, was she? Yeah, she. Uh, she was in an episode called Wrath of the Villains. Uh, this ball of mud and meanness, and I think she's some kind of weird S and M club owner. Okay. Oh, that, that's. I am slightly disappointed because I know that show does a lot of kind of. It's like the comic villain, but not quite. It would have been cool if she was like a proto Harley Quinn or something. No, she's she's called she's called Jerry. She uh, and I I think it was that kind of let's get Laurie Petty in because she's like comic book royalty, having played Tank Girl. Yeah, um, but yeah. I mean, uh, she's done a lot more TV work than she's done film work. But uh, I'll be honest, I think Laurie Petty is. Uh, I, I think she really nailed the role. I think she had the right amount of energy and the right amount of kind of uh, sass. sass and a little bit of that insanity that Tank Girl has. And I'll be honest, I, I, I was a fan at that point. I watched Tank Girl and I thought she nailed the role. Couldn't have asked for anything. Yeah, I more. think she's, she's just, uh, she's got really good comedic timing as well, I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, there's so many kind of Little lines, little throwaway lines. Um, uh, when uh, Jet is uh, kind of hiding in the toilet cubicle and she slides underneath, uh, and she goes, uh, "Do you want to escape?" And she, uh, and then she comes out with the line, "It's been swell, but the swelling's gone down," which I've kept for like twenty years because I love that line. <laughs> that is a very good line. <laughs> You know, just little things like that that I uh, that I thought just really nailed the character. Yeah, and she, I I think um, I think there was a certain energy she brought to the role, which if there'd been well, if there'd been an appetite for uh, something like a Harley Quinn, I've noticed actually she's she's voiced Livewire in a lot of DC animated stuff. Yeah. Um. She's got the kind of quirkiness you need for those kind of um, off-the-wall villain types. Yeah, she would have. She would have probably, if there'd have been an appetite for a for a Harlequin movie back then, she'd probably have been in line for the role. Yeah, probably. had she not been involved in Tank Girl. But I mean, uh, that then brings us on to Naomi Watts, who is Jet Girl. Who? Yes. You don't really see as Jet Girl in like the truest sense until the very end of the movie. Up until then, she's like this shy, reserved engineer type person. Yeah. And then there's this like massive transformation when she shoots the guy in the head. Oh yeah, I, I think I, it, I, I forgot it, I there think... are there are spoilers in this episode. <laughs> but uh, I mean, there always are. I yeah. just sometimes forget to mention them. <laughs> and you know. When we're talking about a twenty-five-year-old film, 
Who the cares? 15-year-old film. 25, 25. Have you lost a decade? Have you lost a decade somewhere? I've lost many decades. Not all of them consecutive. So that's not your real age then? (laughs) What's not my real age? I haven't revealed my real age to anybody since 1947. (laughs) It's just after that business with that ring that fell out of space. Anyway. I digress. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see, I thought. Yeah, good. I think my Watts, she's also pretty good. I think her main issue is just being kind of not lobby petty. Yeah, um, I think I think that that was one of my main gripes with the with the movie. I'll be honest. Uh, it. I wish they would have introduced her as Jet Girl a lot earlier, or rather done the transformation of her to Jack Girl a lot earlier. And again, you know, who knows what's in that hour or so's worth of footage that's on the cutting room floor, Yeah, you know? I'd Um, love to see kind of an uncut version of Tank Girl, just to see what it was like. Oh, no. Is this this our petition? Release the Tulele cut. <laughs> well, surely it's got to be better than the. Uh, <laughs> the... I mean, generally, I mean, though, yeah. I mean, to be Tank... fair, the only thing we can guarantee is it'll be longer. Yeah, I don't mean better than Tank Girl. I mean better than the Justice League movie. Um... Oh, in that case, the only thing we can guarantee is that it'll be shorter. <laughs> My point exactly. And, and cheaper. But I, I think. Thank God is definitely the kind of film where I would like to see, like, if the director had full control, what is the version of this film she intended supposed to look like? Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, as she's ex- uh, uh, as she's explained, there's an hour of footage that would explain the inclusion of Johnny Prophet, the whole, you know, uh, working on a way to make it rain, all of that stuff, you know. That's stuff that kind of makes the movie really disjointed. Yeah, but I, I think the the other thing is because I don't know how many volumes of Tank Girl comic there were. That this is one of the things that until probably we started getting things like the the MCU and to a lesser degree the the DC universe, you had this you had this feeling that in order to to appease the fans, you had to cover all the storyline in that first movie because you might not get another one. Yeah, there was it was kind of that, but I think I think Tango was one of those ones where it was actually kind of popular. Um, it was actually kind of weirdly popular around because this came out after the first Batman movie, after the first Tim Burton Batman movie, if I remember rightly. Um, I can't remember what after. That. After the first two, I think. I think it was. Uh, I was about to say. I can't remember when the second one came out, but it might have been after that as well. Ninety-two. Um, so yeah, it came out after those, and around the mid nineties, Tank Girl had had become weirdly popular. And by the time I went to university in ninety-four, it was one of those comics that you know the comic book aficionados of the time kept saying to me, "Oh, are you reading Tank Girl?" I'm like, "Yeah, I've been a fan of it for a while." And then they 
leave me alone and walk away because then they can't turn around and say, oh, it's all about this. No, 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 no. Because people like doing you've, that. You've robbed them of their power. Yeah, I've robbed them of their power. <laughs> and then quarter of a century later, you're doing a podcast where you do exactly the same thing. I'm not trying to be... <laughs> I'm not trying to lord it over people. I'm just saying, Tanko, it's not a perfect movie, you know, but I kind of love it for what it tried to do. Yeah, and I, I, I think... Again, I, I think it tries to cram a lot of story into a, what, hour and 44 minutes yeah. of what what survived. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that spoils it for me is the fact that the animations, whereas where the storytelling element of the animation in something like Birds of Prey um, is coherent and actually tells... A story in a truncated sequence, which me, uh, which makes it so that there's not like a whole hour of the film devoted to Harley's sort of birth and teenage years. Um, it cuts it down. It gets it done quite efficiently. It makes perfect sense within the context of the movie. The Tank Girl animations, some of them are just so clearly there to cover up the fact that they either couldn't afford to film the sequence that should have been happening at that time. <laughs> or yeah. something had gone horribly wrong. <laughs> In, I think... Yeah, I mean, you, you joke, but yeah, it, it genuinely is the first thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, mean... yeah, Alan, Alan Martin and Jamie Hewlett, they've been, like, very vocal in interviews that the main reason they hate this film is that basically the production company came to them, like, a few weeks, like, before production was supposed to be done and said, yeah, so we've got a big chunk of the film that we just can't film. Yeah. Go make some animation for it. Um, that was the thing. It was just the it was just that. And I mean it wasn't that they had any big issues with the actual content of the film. It's just the production side of it really yeah. the nose out of joint. Or at least to be fair, I think there were things yeah. um that originally they weren't a fan of, but they then, you know, worked to incorporate in. Like, I know they've said um, originally a lot of the writers didn't necessarily get the humour of Tank Girl that much. Yeah. So they had to do quite a bit of work with him to sort of get it across. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tank Girl, the humour is, bizarrely, even though it's supposed to be set in this kind of quasi-Australia-esque place, the humour is very, very British. Um, A little bit Monty Python, a little bit Faulty Towers, a little bit Dad's Army at times. You know, it, it's got this weird blend of um, kind of uh, humour that British people will, for the most part, understand. But if you're from elsewhere in the world, you probably won't get it straight away. Yeah, well, I think like one of the, the anecdotes they were telling was that they'd literally sit the writing team down and just show them old episodes of the Benny Hill show. Yeah. And just go, it's this, this is what we're doing. Imagine if Ice T watched the Benny Hill show. <laughs> I think the actors were uh, actually expected uh, during the production to uh, have some kind of uh, some kind of understanding of how the character was supposed to be played. So it wouldn't be beyond yeah, the bounds yes, of possibility. Rob, sorry. I, I'm not talking about an actor. I'm talking about Ice T. In the in the case of this movie. Ice T is wearing lots and lots of prosthetic makeup, so he is classed as a thespian. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I wouldn't put it beyond the bounds of possibility that Ice-T had to sit through an episode of Benny Hill. I hope he had to do it while wearing his makeup. So do I. Because... They... And, they made it, and they made him play Yakety Sax. <laughs> Can you imagine? Because... <laughs> Whilst quoting John Kerouac, I've just I've just suddenly thought there's there's a movie from the uh, from the late '80s I think called I'm Gonna Get You Soccer where they say every good hero needs his own theme tune, and just suddenly thought Ice T's theme tune as the Benny Hill (laughs) chase music (laughs) would be amazing. (laughs) Yeah, and again, I don't have anything against Ice T. I just think it's so funny how much this is clearly not his kind of film. Can you imagine, though, if this film haunted him all the way through to when he was working at... What was it? Uh, what was that TV show he used to be on? The police uh, procedural one? Oh, okay. Was that one of the Law and Orders? Yeah, it was Law and Order, yeah. So can you imagine if it followed him all the way to Law and Order? What, just like, there's a murder and he pulls back the sheet and it's just a kangaroo? <laughs> Or just someone's uh, someone's writing his ripper name in graffiti. He's like, who wrote this on my car? So, apart from the gratuitous sass of the lead character, yeah, the use of animation as a, as a plot device, are there any other bits of DNA that we can trace from 1995's Tank Girl through to 2019, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. Just the general insanity of it. I mean, sass is one thing, but insanity is something else. (laughs) (laughs) I have propensity for short shorts. Yeah, yeah, short shorts. I know. Let's put it this way: if you if you watch this uh, movie without knowing anything about Tank Girl, and it was just, you know, and you had no audio whatsoever, and you sat down and you watched it, how many people would straight away think it was some kind of origin story for Harley Quinn? Oh, wait, I know. I've, I've got one more point of similarity between this and, like, specifically Birds of Prey, Harley Quinn. Mm. Yeah. Elaborate musical numbers. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, they... Uh, when I watched Harley Quinn, my first reaction, Birds of Prey, that is, when I watched that, my first reaction to that musical number was, you've nicked that from Tank Girl. I mean, to be fair, even Tank Girl wasn't the first movie to feature a big musical number without actually being a musical. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with Bollywood movies. <laughs> They're definitely I, not musicals. <laughs> I, I'm talking about mainstream Hollywood movies here. It's not the first one to have a major... <laughs> Musical number. Uh, yeah, true. Musical. True, true. Um, but yeah, anyway, I that, think... that that musical number is epic. It has to be said. And it's... it is a cracking soundtrack all the way through, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, uh, it had some great music all the way through, but when they break out into, uh, you know, uh, Cole Porter. <laughs> I know. It's also, I, I kind of watched the original trailer for Tank Girl, just like in preparation of the show, give myself a little reminder. And I think one of my favorite things is just the fact that like one of the big selling points at the end is just, and featuring the music of. 
So anyway, and just like this big list. Also, also featuring Ice T because of course he provided music for it as well. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I think it's time. Yeah, I I think we have we have once again come to the part of the show where we must rank our film on the master list, going from number one Road to Perdition to number thirteen Ang Lee's Hulk. It's better than Ang Lee's Hulk. Way better. It's more fun than Ang Lee's Hulk. Oh yeah, that is, that's it. this is like a solid three out of five film for me. Mm. I, I I would definitely put it kind of mid table. What what what? There there. Let's 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 hear them ranked from uh, Ang Lee's Hulk to mid table. Okay, so at number twelve we've got season two of Titans. At number eleven we've got the Birds of Prey TV show. At number ten we've got Titans season one. At number nine, Lock and Key season one. Number eight, X Men, the uh, first movie, and number seven, Harley Quinn season one. Um, it's Ooh, tough. You know. See, that's the thing. Is it as good as Harley Quinn season one? No, I don't think so either. What was the one after Harley I, Quinn? I was th- I was thinking just above Lock and Key. Uh, I'm thinking that as well. Because it's more, it's more fun than Lock and Key, although Lock and Key is better made. Yeah, but that's just a matter of 25 years of, uh, yeah, I know. you know. 20, 25 years, and Lock and Key probably had the same budget as a... <laughs> Lock, and, Lock and Key probably had the same budget for one episode that Tank Girl had for the entire movie. It didn't have a budget of 25 million an episode. I know, I was exaggerating. Yeah, yeah, I'm comfortable with that, because I think it's probably... Not quite as good as X Men One. I think that film definitely yeah. holds together a lot better. It's it's more coherent. Yeah. Um, but I got think... Ian McKellen saying hello, old friend. Yeah. But I think it's definitely it's definitely a mid table movie. I don't think it. I don't think uh, it's fair of uh, it's fair to treat it as a crap movie just because either you didn't understand it or. It was didn't have the best production values or anything like that. I mean, this was made at a time when Waterworld was being made for like a hundred million. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, you shouldn't treat it as a craft movie because it isn't. Yeah, yeah. And let's not forget, you know, prosthetics by Stan Winston. Yeah. You know that's. <laughs> yeah, they look. I mean, I didn't even mention the fact that I think the tank looks really good. The tank is amazing. I love the tank. And, like, and I, I think, one. And I think, I think, I think this the the reason this film is flawed is because it did have a twenty five million pound bud, uh, twenty five million dollar budget, only recouping six at the box office. Yeah, but um, it only had twenty five million dollar budget, but there were a lot of prosthetics. Yeah, and you had Stan Winston and his team creating them. Yeah, and I believe Stan Winston even took a pay cut to do this film. Yeah. Yeah. And you had to build a bloody tank. Yeah. And a jet. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, all those action set pieces. um, Yeah. The anime, and yeah, okay, they said go and animate this, but still you've got... it's not a cheap process. Exactly, you've still got an animation budget. Yeah, you've still got an animation budget, and in 1995, animation budget was a lot more. Yeah, because you didn't have all the computer-assisted bits and yeah, all the rest of it. So, you know, 
It's like saying yeah. to someone now, go make me tank girl for £2.50. Yeah. And of course, they had to build Malcolm McDowell a whole hologram head. And a, and a robotic and, arm. I mean, which, of course, meant developing hologram technology. They basically turned him into Dr. Claw, let's be fair. Yeah. I mean, they tried to explain to him, it's like, no, Malcolm, it's fine. We'll just CGI it in and we'll use prosthetics for the arm. But no, he insisted, you need to slice my arm off and decapitate me and replace them with robotics. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, be honest, I'll be honest, that that was another great line from, from the movie. You know, all the king's horses and all the king's men wish they had my technology. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a really good line. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's also, yes, Malcolm McDowell, they probably do. I imagine you and your robotics are slightly more advanced than like some weird fantasy kingdom trying to glue an egg back together. <laughs> Except that was the guy who was uh, putting Malcolm McDowell's head back on and arm back on. <laughs> yeah, true. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, so there we have it. Tank Girl is our new number nine. Yeah. I still love the movie. I still think it's a cracking film. Uh yeah, it's got its problems, but... Yeah, you know. I mean, I'd certainly watch it again. Yeah. So would I, but not just now. Yeah. Well, of course not, because I need to do the outro for the show just now. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, that is just about it from us. If you want to listen to more, you can listen to all our old episodes on the feed, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, you can also listen to our other podcast, the Comics View Show 4 panel, over on the Geek Show Podcast Network. And if you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. Also, if you are a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you did leave us a review just on your podcast app of choice, or even just recommended us to a friend. It's, uh, it's kind of the best way to help us grow and reach new ears which is definitely the creepiest way I could think of putting that. If you want new so, ears, I'd go see Malcolm McDowell. He knows a guy. There we go, we're tying it in. I, I was go- I was going to go, birds do it, <laughs> bees do it. <laughs> and let's do it, let's recommend this show. Oh. <laughs> Please end it now, Andrew. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have been your host, Andrew, and I have been joined by Mick. Bye. And Rob. Toodaloo. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time.